My name is Hemish Alangaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Brian, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for joining. We've been speaking about this for some time, so I'm glad to um, finally finally get you on the show. Um, Brian, do you want to give the listeners uh, a quick intro to who you are and what your role is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, the Chief Regulatory Officer at Crea Therapeutics, which is an AAB gene therapy-based company. Uh, my role at Korea is that I oversee regulatory quality and clinical. Um, so it's a fairly large remit for myself, um, but I have you know leaders within my team that help me manage that that team. Um, prior to joining Korea, I was actually a consultant for about a year or so. Um, so that was an interesting adventure. Got to do a lot of different things. You know, meet a lot of different people. Worked for a lot of different um, large or small biotechs. Uh, so that was that was great experience. Um, ultimately, I thought it was very similar to my previous job, which was at FDA. Um, and so as a senior clinical pharmacology reviewer there, um, specifically in the oncology group, um, where it was probably one of the busiest places I've ever worked. Um, just a tremendous amount of reviews. I mean, INDs, multiple INDs every week, um, including, you know, BLA, NDA kind of review expectations. So, um, you know, not not your government cushy job that I was expecting. Uh, just and it's just a really great opportunity to learn, and really set me up for for the my my future career that I'm now at Korea with. Yeah. Um, before that, I was at GSK, Skeletal Muscle Metabolism Group, and then before that was a small company called uh, Sega Technologies. And my PhD is actually in biochemistry, so I've had a very roundabout career to get to where I am today. It's interesting your remit because you're chief regulatory officer, um, gene therapy field, um, but you're also overseeing quality and clinical. Um, so tell us how that transition into quality came about. How did it feel? How did your prior experience, I suppose, uh, make you a good fit for the role? Yeah, yeah. No, I think you know a lot of it came from you know opportunities and you know just a change in. Um, you know, personnel, honestly. Uh, and so I think we had a, a couple of key people uh, leave and then that's how I ended up um, taking over a quality group at Korea. However, you know, my, I would say my experience um, at FDA helps me leverage a lot of what I do in that quality group and how to, to manage that, that group as well. So just from working with not only on the review side, but also with inspectors while I was at FDA as well. So thinking about um, data, data quality, integrity, mm. um, and just a lot of the components that go into good product quality ultimately. And so I think my background as a clinical pharmacologist really came in handy in that regard mm. because it's a very multidisciplinary approach. And so obviously I'm part of the clinical group being clinical pharmacology, but then I worked heavily with CMC 
on a lot of product quality questions. And so thinking about um, changes to either the process that was uh, um, modified, you know, through either PK bridging or some other scientific justification, we were always involved in those kind of discussions to ensure that the product itself was safe for um, the U.S. consumers. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And we, when we first spoke, I think we um, we talked a lot about data integrity and and your back your I suppose understanding of it and, and what it means at, at Korea. Um, could you I suppose go into um, or tell us a bit more about what data integrity means to you, your your background, and, and your perception of how you um, I suppose embed a, a culture of good data integrity um, in yeah. your role. No, thanks. That's a good question. So for me, good data integrity uh, for biotech really means that all data, whether electronic or paper, is complete, attributable, trustworthy, and retrievable over its entire life cycle, so the product life cycle. I think more plainly, not only do you have to have the correct data, but you need to ensure that hasn't been tampered with and can be easily audited or retrieved when requested. I think, you know, for me, you know, this would be where, again, I take a time or page for my time at FDA, where I spent a lot of time reanalyzing data sets um, and, you know, got a lot of learnings from there about uh, that. And I think we've implemented something here uh, at Korea where we have an independent scientist and QA team member reanalyze figures and tables from original QC source data for all regulatory documents in which we call a data verification process. And this really does ensure that what we're reporting is complete and consistent and accurate. I think the other really big piece of the puzzle here is really heavy investment in OT. I think that's really mm -hmm. essential um, to really getting uh, having a trustworthy uh, data set that can't be tampered with within an electronic-based system. Yeah, so it's obviously a huge part of, of quality assurance and, 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 the, and the wider industry, I suppose. Could you share, um, I suppose, in your perspective, what does good data integrity look like and what what are the best practices that you that, that companies or, or leaders should be trying to trying to um, implement yeah i think for good data integrity it is again you know uh, you know it's something that we try to instill in in our review teams mm -hmm. or not our review teams but our um, product teams and really it's uh, a, a place where we have um methodology set up for not only, you know, keeping with electronic notebooks, um, having good SOPs and reviewing those SOPs, but having training with uh, our uh, staff on a regular annual basis. We also have a thing uh, for data champions or stewards. So it's an individual within a group that can help, um, you know, kind of champion those aspects. And yeah. so to kind of ensure and then re renew and then also remind individuals about good data integrity because to me, ultimately, you know, data is really what we do own uh, from our product development. I think our uh, product ourselves is something we own. A lot of the remainder of what we do is, you know, we investigate, we kind of turn over um, the cards, so to speak, on what the effects are, but those are more reactory in terms of this, this is what happened and we ported. So having that ownership of data, I think is essential. Yeah, and what what happens when when it goes wrong? Because um, there's a lot of examples, I suppose, in real life. Yeah, examples. No, 
um like what i suppose if you yeah what what's the the what are the consequences of bad data integrity and are there any examples that you've come across or um that that have guided your um understanding of of data integrity yeah yeah absolutely i can give you a couple of public ones and then some some ones at a time at FDA. So I think one of the most egregious examples was at Remexi Laboratories, where they faced allegations for falsifying data. Um, really, they were not reporting impurities. They had stability um, assessments that were out of spec. Uh, they had a couple other different um, things. And I think ultimately, the FDA fined them, I think was a half a billion dollars, so substantial amount of money. Um, in addition, the uh, I think it was really a failure due to a, of an independent quality group. Um, and so the internal processing or internal auditing wasn't really done. Right. Okay. Wow. So, and then I think probably another example would be more relevant to gene therapy was recently with Avexis where hmm. um, it was really a, a sole individual, but where the data wasn't reported in a non-clinical assessment. Um, and so that's just kind of an example of, you know, how one individual could be contributing to a data yeah. integrity issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose what, what would, are there any, um, like, have you seen the industry evolve, I suppose, in terms of implementing um, and maintaining good data integrity practices? And are there any, I suppose, key shifts or advancements that, the, that have occurred over the years? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, from electronic-based systems, uh, which help to improve the efficiency um, of the system and kind of ensure good data integrity. Um, but the there is also challenges with data security, which I think is uh, a paramount, and which is why I mentioned uh, heavy investment into OD. So I think, you know, for, for me, the investment into OT is, is, is really paramount. And it's because of the, uh, the, the kind of trying to get data records to be tamper-proof. Mm. Um, this also has uh, really the adoption of this Alcoa practice, um, which is this attributable, legible, contemporaneous, original, and accurate um, standard. And this electronic shift has really helped to uh, make that uh, more of a reality. And I think, you know, for industry, moving towards electronic is the future. And I think that could be as simple as e-notebooks, but then as complex as uh, e-batch records. Uh, but ultimately, you know, having those systems in place and retrievable is far better than paper, um, just because I think paper itself, although is a permanent record, um, can be uh, difficult from a review perspective. I mean, I can tell you right now, I, I frankly don't know how former FDA reviewers did it in terms of review of paper-based submissions. Uh, I only received one or two of them while I was at FDA, and it was it was crazy. Uh, just the, the amount to do, I think, obviously, having retrievable electronic records makes that so much easier. You, know, you control mm -hmm. F or you, you search for something and you pop it right up versus trying to go through an index and kind of keep going through um yeah. you know dictionaries and things like that it's just much much easier in the electronic yeah. world when do companies start because there's a lot of companies that will still use paper-based systems um yeah like in your experience what what should be the shift because from yeah a, from a, a paper-based to electronic yeah i think it depends on the company structure so if it's like you know 
a three-man outfit or a three-person outfit. I think there is, um, you know, reliance on the CROs and things like that that can be leveraged, mm. and they will probably have their own uh, systems. But you'll have to have something in place yourself, but it's going to be a little bit more simplistic. Yeah. You know, Korea, we have our own manufacturing facility. So we have our own uh, electronic QMS as well. So I think, you know, I think it depends on the size and the scope. But to me, it starts as early as research. I think the example for Avexis um, was actually a research finding that was done post audit uh, or post approval. And so I think that's, you know, something that can be, it, you know, data integrity starts at research and really doesn't end. Um, period. I think it you know goes throughout the product life cycle, even post approval. Um, so mm. I think that's pretty 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 much essential. Yeah, uh, yeah. Q- Q- the, Q- the QMS um, topic is an interesting one because you don't have to be, you, you know, at, at, I suppose at, at preclinical stage versus early phase clinical development. You don't have to be spending thousands and thousands or millions of. Uh, dollars on on a, a full blown QMS, but you need yeah. to obviously have something that's appropriate to the your phase of development. Um, for for people, I, mean, for, I suppose for people or leaders that are of you know a small startup or a small organization, how do they? Where would you start in terms of at what level do you implement quality systems? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, from, from my perspective, it, you know, I think probably the small startups would be more paper-based, honestly. Yeah. Um, there are some cheaper QMS systems that are just as good. I think they're just a little bit, uh, can be a little more difficult to use, but yeah. they are um, a true source of information that can't be tampered with. It was just effectively, you know, what repository for your data. And then final reports, I think you would leverage those CROs that you work with um, mm. to kind of help uh, facilitate yeah. good uh, data standards. So of course, you know, essentially you do need QA members, right? I think yes. that's where ultimately you, you do need QA very early in the process to ensure good data integrity and process. And I think it's not only from a regulatory standpoint that that's essential, but from, you know, future investment, right? I think, you know, for small companies that are looking to partner with large pharmaceutical companies, they will do their own due diligence. They will bring people like myself with former backgrounds that can help really dig into the information provided. We'll find the issues and we'll ask those tough questions ultimately. Mm. Um, and so I think it's it really starts at the very beginning. Uh, once you really have identified your candidate, you, you need to really start um, uh, having those kind of good conversations with leadership. Yeah. So, and then going back onto that, um, I suppose the the um, building the, the building blocks of blocks of data integrity into your business. Like, if I, if you're a quality leader, what advice would you give to people that are looking to establish a culture of data integrity in the business? Where do you where do you start, and 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 how do you build that into your processes? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with policies and SOPs and, and, and you know, um, that. But I think, you know, ultimately, it's, it's a cultural uh, phenomenon that you have to instill in your people. Not only do you have to give them the tools like uh, notebooks or electronic notebooks just to have good documentation practices, but then you also have to, you know, ensure that when there are issues that there's not, you know, a, a necessarily a, a, a repercussions for, finding mistakes in a data set. So I think that's one thing that we've instilled here is that, you know, even though we have a data integrity process, you know, ultimately there there will be small mistakes found. 
I mean, that's just part of the review. I mean, I found them all the time at FDA and those were polished BLAs, right? That went through who knows how many uh, review and CRO. So it, it's, it's pretty common to find issues. It's just, you know, it's, it's much better to find them early on so you can correct yeah. them and address them. And it typically ends up just being small changes, you know, think question, uh, questions around how um, things were characterized. But ultimately, it's it's fairly straightforward process, and it doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. I think people think it's quite daunting mm. when you're when you first start at it, but really, reanalysis is much easier to do than um, you know the original component of it because you really have a starting base, and so coming from there, it is quite quick. Um, so I think you know ultimately, coming back to your question, it is really having that <clears throat> um, within the corporate culture. That you know, we will you know be critical of our own data that we generate, um, and being able to you know speak up when there there are findings and not have a negative outcome for for those employees. I think obviously, if you find the same employee making the same mistakes over and over again, I think that could be you know a subject for a dis- further discussion. But in 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 practice, though, that I have not seen that happen. I mm-hmm. think these are just one off little things that yeah. uh, you find during these review processes and. And ultimately, you can correct them. And I think that's the thing. You know, as long as you have the original source data um, that was collected in a, in, a, in a compliant manner, then I think you know, the back end is easy, more, much more easy to address uh, prior or before you submit yeah. uh, information. And did you say you have data champions? Um, yeah. In, in yeah. your business? And is that yeah, like it's a, a new concept we kind of okay. uh, been working with? and. Uh, I, I think it's going to be an essential tool for us just to kind of remind people, you know, have somebody, if, if no one's response, if no one's responsible, no one's going to get it done. Um, so we, we want to have somebody, you know, there and present to kind of remind the team and kind of be, you know, checking in addition to, you know, the QA team that will help with this, but the you know, QA team is relatively small comparatively to the, the larger organization. So is that a sing, is that like a, a position on its own, or is that embedded into some someone in the quality it's team? It's embedded into somebody yeah. uh, existing position, yeah. and it's they're just there as kind of that uh, voice for for data integrity. Nice, nice. And um, I suppose final question on that one is, is how how would you recommend staying up to date with um, I suppose the latest developments, regulation changes, things like that? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know it's part and parcel with you know our own. Uh, experiences, but, you know, continuous learning is kind of, you know, what we're, I think most scientists are, are about, right. So we're always curious, we're always learning new things. And I think that comes from either workshops or, you know, webinars or there are things that you can kind of glean for free, um, or, you know, uh, checking in with your own product quality, uh, or, or QA groups locally on, on different things that are changing both yeah, within the U.S., but globally as well. Um, so I think it it is something you just kind of keep abreast of and ensure that you have, you know, uh, that kind of mindset where you're going to really kind of check in at least you know once or twice a year and make yeah. sure that you, you've gotten everything yeah. up to date. Yeah, nice. Let, let, let's talk a bit about just a bit about your I suppose journey and 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 rolling in career like. You know, such a, a wide remit. Obviously, when you're in a, a startup organization, you've got to wear a lot a lot of hats um, and right. and um, and be involved with with different roles. How, how do you find looking after reg, clinical, 
quality. That's a you know a mismatch of, of different functions altogether. Um, what what does yeah. that what does that look like in your world? What's what's the data? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a busy <laughs> world uh, for sure. But it is it's I think it's a lot of fun personally. Um, you know, it gives me uh, you know a chance to interact with very different groups, um, different mindsets. Uh, you know, I, I you know I can play the role of scientists, which is which is always a fun role for myself. Uh, given my background, um, you know, working with KOLs or, or key opinion leaders in the field that, you know, from a clinical perspective is, is always great to check in on our product development to ensure that we're, you know, uh, thinking about our product from both a clinical safety and efficacy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, working with the CMC team, uh, both from the regulatory and quality side is, you know, a really, you know, interesting, um, you know, a time just because it is a very different mindset than clinical. Mm. And so I think that's, you know, your the product is much more refined. There's a lot more tests. There's a lot more knowledge and, and it's a process, right? I think clinically it's a bit of a journey. Uh, and so I think that's the big difference between the two groups, which is it's, it's fun to have that experience. And I'm very fortunate in my career to be able to do so. Mm. Yeah, no, well, it's a, I mean, it's a unique, um, remit i suppose to, to look after so, so many different functions I'm, I'm sure you're very very busy um all the time um I, i'm interested to uh, you know for someone who's recently in um taken on a quality remit I'm, I'm interested to hear your answer to one of my um questions which i always ask, ask at the end of the towards the end of the episode is um i suppose what are the the skills and attributes that you think make a, a great quality assurance leader yeah, I mean, I think my number one skill, I think this a, a cuts across all disciplines, um, is really being that independent contributor. Um, I think you know, a, a, an individual that can kind of um, lead on their own right um, is someone I look for in, in an employee. Um, and I think it makes my job, obviously, as a manager, far easier when you have independent contributors that can be uh, experts in their own, um, field right. and be able to kind of contribute at a really high level. Then it's just more of checking in, you know, making sure things are kind of, you know, going, progressing as planned. Is there any uh, deviations and what do we need to kind of problem solve around? Right. I yeah. think that's a much more, uh, enjoyable kind of experience personally for myself and it has been worked quite well. I think all of the people that work with me are really, phenomenal they uh they are truly independent leaders they're all f- fantastic in their own right even those you know with less experience to those that are, are much more senior in in the re- in the organization are all you know contributing at an extremely high level which mm. i think makes it a lot easier um i think you know additionally beyond that it's you know the the experience is that someone you know collects over time that helps really refine what they what they ultimately have and I think that's just comes with time um, so you, you, know, you don't have the expectation of someone brand new being able to really go through um, live in the gray as I've heard some of your other uh, podcasts um, that, that that takes experience right I think you know understanding the regulations is is one thing I think you know going through the process and kind of really understanding that the components of it and how the interplay between the various um, groups and various um, information that you receive uh, helps to kind of guide that. 
Um, so I, I think that's another thing that, you know, is always something that I, I do look for is what, what experiences does a person have in, in, in totality? Yeah. 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 I think the, the point you mentioned first about being, um, you know, a, a, an individual contributor and, but, you know, being able to be a self-starter and, um, and, and take ownership and, and lead from the front in whatever discipline is, is especially important in a, in a smaller organization where you, as I said, you, you wear, you are wearing, wearing a lot of hats and there's a lot of things going on. So you do need people that are, um, able to have that get up and go and, and, and take ownership of tasks themselves, um, which comes nice. with the experience. Um, um, I, I'm interested to hear about, I suppose, what inspires you and in, in particular, the sub of work that Korea are doing. Um, you know, it's, it's been a, um, an interesting year for for biotech as in, in, in an industry. Um, lots of lots of um, I suppose poor clinical data, pullbacks with funding. But but Korea have had a, a, an interesting year, and, and um, um, you know there's some exciting things happening. So I'm I'm keen to understand how excited you are about it, and and where you think um, the, the the business is going. Yeah, no, I think you know I think the biotech investment as a whole, obviously, it's been challenged by the rising interest rates. And I think that's going to be like the core issue. I think there's still a lot of great things going on in the field, a lot of great medicines being developed and the funding situation is, is very unfortunate um, just because it is difficult to, to achieve that now. Um, and I think that that's going to be a bit of a hole. I think, you know, as far as gene therapy though, you know, I think there is the, you know, the development for the monogenic uh, diseases that's been phenomenal. You've seen recently three three new approved products this year. Um, we'll continue to see more products approved, which is helping you know these rare uh, diseases being treated. Which you know I think you know with SMA it was a lethal lethal disease, pediatric disease, and now children are le- you know living um, you know relatively uh, normal lives, although there's still some underlying. A disease still manifestation, but they they are surviving that disease. So there's you know tremendous you know potential for gene therapy, which is I think is the excitement in gene therapy. It's a new modality, relatively new. We're still learning. There's still things to kind of discover and explore, which is really exciting. I think mm-hmm. comparatively to maybe like a small molecule field where things are relatively, uh, I wouldn't say cookie cutter, but um, well trodden as a field. Um, I think gene therapy is not, not that. I think there's, there is a lot to learn still, which is part of the excitement. And I think for us at Korea, you know, bringing uh, gene therapy to more prevalent diseases is also really an exciting idea. I think that to me is, is the future of, of gene therapy. And, you know, I think some of the excitement that you see you know, publicly for Korea is, is kind of a reflection of that. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, for us, we are, very committed to you know treating these diseases and it's really uh, a very fortunate time i think for myself and i think you know, the entire korea team to kind of contribute to the to this uh mission that um you know, the leadership at korea has kind of laid out so it's been really really great journey honestly um and i think it's been rewarding to see the data come in um as, as it has so i think you know as we march towards um, you know, clinical development will will continue on with our, you know, our product life cycle and you know, kind of 
understand how how we're contributing in, in the greater scheme of things. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really exciting time. And 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 best of luck with to you and, and the team um, for yeah. for, the, for for getting into clinical development. Um, final question, um, Brian, um, which yeah. I ask everyone: um, What gets you up in the morning? Ah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I would say I, I, I'm I like the science. I'm, I'm a scientist at heart, um, and I, I do enjoy the discussions, the debates, the the data that comes in, the analysis. I I do my own data analysis from time to time, so I, I do enjoy that aspect of the career uh, tremendously. So I think that that is, and then of course the people that I work with um, are also a big part of that. I think if um, you know, having a, a strong team around me, and, and additionally, um, beyond my own remit, uh, is makes the job really enjoyable. Um, so I feel very fortunate um, to be at Korea, where we have both really great scientists and a really great mission. Um, I think there is also, um, I, th- I think you know, the, the manufacturing team is just done a ph- phenomenal job. In terms of really being that that leader in the field of gene therapy, you know, elevating product quality to where where I think it hasn't been before for for gene therapy. So it's fantastic, I think, all around. So yeah, I, I would say yeah, the, the science is is where I I, I think I enjoy it the most. Nice, nice, Brian. It's been a great uh, conversation. Um, you're a you're a very busy man with um, a, a very important role um, and, and large remit. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on the show, um, Brian, uh, Brian. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people get some good value from that. So thank you very much for your time. And um, um, yeah, great, great, uh, great to have you on the show. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, Please get in touch with me on LinkedIn, visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.